today on Walk in Truth, we explore Esther chapter 5. Esther has decided to make a stand, but now it's time to take that stand. It's one thing to decide to do the right thing. It's quite another to do it. Well, Esther is going to enter into the royal palace, and it's going to be a question of whether the golden scepter will extend to her, and it does. And she stands by grace today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. When we play scenarios in our mind, anticipating a big day, we usually think in negative terms, right? We usually make it bigger and more negative than it will ever be, but of course she had reason to be concerned. NIV says, what is it, Queen Esther? Obviously, the king knew there was some urgent need because why would she risk her life coming, this enormous risk, unless there was some big pressing need? What's troubling you? Do you know when you come to Jesus, that's essentially what he says. He says, cast your burdens to me because I care for you. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I, I'll give you rest. Do you know when you come to the Lord, the Lord could be seen as to say to us, what's troubling you? What's on your heart? And that's okay for you to be in a position before your king who has extended the golden scepter to say, Lord, this is what's troubling me. My heart is heavy. I'm going through this. I'm concerned about this person. I I need your help. I need your power. I need your grace. I need your love. And the good news is, he says, cast all your cares to me because I care for you. I love you. And we hesitate sometimes to give God all of that. And in fact, he says, what is your request Even to half of the kingdom, it will be given to you. Can you imagine that? Man, Esther had to be going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. She didn't know Jesus at this point, but thank you, Lord. At least didn't know the name Jesus. Up to half the kingdom is hyperbole, according to the scholars. It's something that ancient kings used to say, not that they would give you half their kingdom. It wasn't like a divorce court in the state of California. (laughs) That was a little bit of free humor, but it might not have been funny to some of you. So anyway. But it was a way of saying, whatever reasonable request you put before me, it'll be done. In Mark chapter 6, it's what Herod said to the daughter of Herodias. They uh, They think her name was Salome. And she did the seductive dance before King Herod on his birthday. And he says, okay, he was pleased by her dance. And he says, Ask me what you want up to half my kingdom. I'll give it to you right now. And what did she ask for? The head of John the Baptist on the platter. And she got it. And this is what's going on in this setting. It's a way to say, any reasonable request you put before me, it'll be done. Now, if you're Esther, wouldn't you be tempted to say, Haman's head on a platter right now. That's what I want. And would she be wrong to ask for that? I mean, Haman had gotten the king to sign a decree to exterminate all the Jewish people. 
Now, what would you do if the king gave you that blank check, carte blanche, door open? Well, here's what she says. She says, if it pleases the king, may the king and Haman, really, <laughs> come this day to the banquet that I've prepared for him. You mean, girl, you had an open door and you told him to come over for dinner? Are you kidding me? Now, you're reading the story. Maybe you're a Jewish person reading the story and you're like, no way. She didn't just do that. She had an open door. What's going on? Is this a stall or delay tactic? Was Esther afraid to speak her mind? Did she let fear take over? Well, there's more to come. But I'll tell you this. I think Esther is being very, very strategic. I think there's a reason that she didn't belt it out right there. Think of some reasons. She's in the middle of the court with all these other people around. If she says to the king, uh, there's a terrible decree hatched by Haman and you need to reverse it now. The, it's become the law of the, the Medes and Persians and it's, it's irreversible from other things that we've read. He's going to have to redo a decree that he has his signet ring put on that's gone to all the provinces. In addition to that, Esther is going to have to confess that she's Jewish, which she's been hiding from him for over five years. She's going to have to tell him, and I'm a Jew, and it's going to cost me my life if you let this go on. He's going to have to undo a royal decree. He's going to have to face Haman, face all the royalty of his court, undo something, admit it was a mistake, uh, you know, yield to his wife's request, even though she's been lying to him. There's a lot going on. And so she decides not to do it right there and right then. And I believe that was very, very wise. And you could even say providential. Sometimes waiting for a strategic moment, even to say something to someone, is the best thing to do. And so she invited them over to a banquet. Seems like this book is filled with banquets, huh? <laughs> banquets that go on everywhere for multiple days. And can you imagine if Esther was cooking? Man, she had to be so hungry. <laughs> Those potatoes never looked so good. You know, when you haven't eaten for a while, it doesn't matter what you eat. You're like, that's the best thing I've ever had in my life. Well, the king said, bring Haman quickly that we may do as Esther desires. And so the king and Haman came to the banquet which Esther had prepared. She cooked up a storm apparently and there they went. By the way, here's another note. If Esther had jumped the gun and presented her request to too soon, the king's memory of Mordecai's saving act when he revealed the plot against him wouldn't have been revealed because it happened that, I think, that next night. Nor would the gallows have been constructed on which Haman poetically, poetic justice, dies on. See, God was working out his plan, even the timing, but he was working out in the very normal mode of life. There's no lightning bolts. There's no Red Seas parting. There's no fiery furnace and deliverance by a shiny being. None of that. In the everyday affairs of life, God can work. And when you pray and fast, it doesn't mean that you're not also planning. They're not mutually exclusive, brothers and sisters. Nehemiah prayed in the book of Nehemiah and he planned. And when you're praying and fasting over something, it's okay to think through because uh, God's given you a brain and you're supposed to love him with all your mind and your heart and your soul and your strength. Think about how to best do something. And as they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, second time, what is your petition? 
it shall be granted to you. What is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be done. You couldn't have risked your life just to have us over for dinner, girl. What's going on? And so, so Esther answered and said, my petition and my request is, <laughs> you ready? <laughs> if I found favor in thy sight, in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition, do what I request, may the king and Haman come to dinner tomorrow night as well. <laughs> what? I paraphrased. May the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I shall prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king says. Some, you know, people reading this have to be thinking, what? Why did she delay again? How many opportunities does this girl need? Swing the bat! <laughs> Those of you who have a baseball background will know what I'm saying. <laughs> Strike one. <laughs> Strike two. Your little, le little leaguer steps out of the box. You're like, swing the bat! <laughs> because three strikes and... You're out. Come on, man. At least take it off your shoulder. Wink at the pitcher. Do something. <laughs> How many of you remember this, the movie The Field of Dreams? Did you see that movie? There's the, the, the doc, you know, gets a chance to play. And so uh, he, he's staring down a big league pitcher on the Field of Dreams. And right before he throws the pitch, he winks at him. And, they, and the pitcher throws the pitch right at his head. And he's like, Whew. And so Shoeless Joe Jackson says, all right, he doesn't want to walk you, so where do you think the next pitch is going to be? And he says, low and outside, but it could be in my ear. <laughs> and he goes, then look low and outside, but watch out for in your ear. <laughs> Again, that was not planned, but anyway, there you go. So she says, notice her humility, very opposite of what the king would remember about Vashti. He says, if it, she says, if it pleases the king, if, if I found favor in your sight, come back tomorrow. She, Esther's uh, carefully worded response suggests that a second banquet, says one author, was always her intent. Why? She hadn't seen the king for a month. She's probably reestablishing the relationship with him, reintegrating herself into his uh, like, if you will, at least reingratiating herself so that they can connect again. And she's building up some steam. There's a reason behind all of this. And Haman went out that day glad and pleased of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he did not stand up or tremble before him. Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. Mordecai, in chapter 3, verse 2, would not bow down to Haman. That's where all this started. And Haman was filled with poisonous anger, is the Hebrew. Anger that was seething and furious and indignation and poison and rage and wrath. And Haman controlled himself in the moment. He, he may have said something like this, Oh, he'll get his. The decree's already gone out. Maybe he made a gun as he walked by. <laughs> it's coming. They didn't have guns back then, so maybe he went like this. For those of you who are listening by audio only, that was an arrow that I just made. Maybe he said something like the Wicked Witch said in The Wizard of Oz. I'll bide my time, my pretty. 
And he went to his house and he sent for his friends. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Today, it's very important to know what you believe and why you believe it. Do you have an answer when your friends, family, or coworker asks you about your faith in Christ? The Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith. You can take online or on-campus classes on subjects like Christian apologetics, Christian doctrine, world religion, contemporary cults, and much more. Enrollment for the spring quarter is open now until April 12th. Visit thetruthacademy.com today to register. That's thetruthacademy.com. See you in class. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. The Wizard of Oz, I'll bide my time, my pretty. And he went to his house and he sent for his friends and his wife. He was, of course, angry. His wife is Zeresh. This is now we're going to find out how Haman deals with his bruised ego. He gets his wife and his friends and he's going to do a session of what we might call I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and darn it, people like me. <laughs> Some of you will remember that from an old Saturday Night Live. Anyway, people like me, don't they? Then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches. He's talking to his wife and his friends. He said something like this. Do you know how much money I have? The number of sons, we find out later he has 10 sons, which, made, which was uh, advantageous in the ancient world. Every instance where the king had magnified him, all of his promotions, his business cards, how he'd been promoted above the princes and the servants of the king. Can you imagine his wife sitting there? I wonder how many, how many times he did this. And by the way, I have 10 sons. His wife's like, I know, honey. I know we have 10 sons. And I've been promoted above all the other princes. And! <laughs> See the friends in there, man. How many times do we have to hear these same stories? You see, Heyman, who was from the 70s, was the kind of man that had to draw attention to himself. He needed his ego stroked, and he's the classic definition of a fool. Pride and arrogance and the evil way, the perverted mouth I hate. When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble, there's wisdom. Proverbs 16, 18, and 19 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be of humble spirit with the lowly than divide the spoil with the proud. And Proverbs 29, 23 says, A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. I don't know how long it went on, but he went over his accomplishments with his friends and his wife. Okay, Haman, yeah, you're a great guy. It'll be okay. And Haman also even said, even Esther, this takes the cake. Hold on. Put your seatbelts on. The queen let no one but me come with the king to the banquet, if you only knew why, which she had prepared. And tomorrow I'm invited to be with her and the king again. Yet all of this does not satisfy me. Every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate, I say to myself, I was having a good day until I saw him. You guys leave. I just want to talk to Zeresh, my wife. <laughs> he gets to me, honey. Every time. You would think once he could bow. It doesn't matter that I'm, uh, my career's gone through the roof, that I'm probably the second most powerful person in Persia. This Mordecai, he gets under my skin. Nothing else will satisfy me. 
In fact, I think the Rolling Stones probably got it from here. I can't get no satisfaction. And I try, and I try. Honey, I try. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Isn't it amazing how someone's idol they, you can have so much good going on in your life, but if you make something your idol, if that one thing doesn't fit with your criteria, the way you want it, the way you think it should be, you'll let everything else that God has blessed you with go down the tubes because the one thing, and what is it with, you know, the, the rich and wealthy people, just another million, just one more deal, just one, it's always one more thing. You see, Haman really was never gonna be satisfied because he didn't find his satisfaction in God. A man's pride will bring him low. Now, what Haman needed at this point was some good, healthy, biblical, godly counsel. What he needed is somebody, and of course, it's hard to feel any empathy for Haman, Right? He's horrible. Haman, why would you feel empathy for this guy? But do you know somebody like this at work, at school? They're not a Christian. They're a disaster. They have a lot of success, but they're constantly telling you about the one thing. Yeah, I know all that stuff's good, but that's one thing. And maybe they break into the Rolling Stones song for you. I can't get, no, I try. And those are the people that you find it hard to even feel sorry for. But they may be the people that you need to speak to the most about what's truly going to satisfy. And Zeresh, his wife, all his friends said to him, here's, here's an idea. Have a gallows 50 cubits high. Make, make the gallows 75 feet high. This roof is 30 feet, give or take. Make it 75 feet high. Here, here's, here's, here's how you'll feel better. Have a gallows made. In the morning, ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it, and then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. <laughs> Man, you look like you're really having a bad night. We've got a great idea for you. If this guy's getting under your skin, there's only one solution. Make a huge, tall gallows. They believe that the gallows was kind of an ancient cross and people were actually impaled on them. Not just hung, but impaled. Make it 75 feet high. Hang them high. That's an old movie. Hang them high. This will make you feel better. Put the guy on display for all to see everywhere. 75 feet high. And the advice pleased Haman. And so he had the gallows made. Can you imagine him? Sitting back there, yeah, yeah, that's good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, nail that, nail that, yeah, that's good. And do you know, the very gallows that he planned to hang the Jewish leader Mordecai on, he ends up hanging on them himself. Poetic justice. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the innocent one, came to hang on a cross. He had no business being there in the sense of earthly justice. He was completely, he was the most innocent person that's ever lived without sin. And they crucified him. 
And you could say in one sense, I should have been hanging on that cross. But we stand in grace because of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, <clears throat> as we think about this picture of the gospel, we can see it as we look a little deeper and Haman's plan to kill Mordecai, had Haman just simply took the high road, loved his neighbor as himself, he, he would have maybe enjoyed a, a good life. But his own evil plan found him out. And he died on the very device he made for another. Lord, you took a Roman cross <clears throat> one that was intended to kill and destroy. And you turned it around and exploited it for your good purposes. The king of glory died on that cross to extend a golden scepter of love and grace to us. And as we look at this story, there's a lot of application points, but I think the biggest one is to know that we're saved by grace, we're kept by grace, and we're empowered by grace. And anything that we're gonna do that's good and for your glory will be because of your grace. So Father, we come before you in humility, asking that you would just move, refresh our hearts, give us fresh boldness, clarity, gratitude. Extend your grace and mercy to that person who doesn't know you yet. If you're that person and you've not touched that scepter, if you've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and King, Cry out to him. Something like this, Lord, I believe you died on that terrible cross for me. Pray it if it's you. I believe you rose from the dead. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord, my King. Please cleanse me, forgive me, wrap me in your righteousness. Make me acceptable in your sight. Thank you for loving me and dying for me. If you're a backslidden Christian and you need to come back to that place of walking strong with the Lord, His grace is here for you. The scepter is extended. Just, just receive it. And for you, dear saints, just know that His grace is a continual flow in your life. Just open your heart and let Him give you exactly what you need for today. Amen. You know, can I take a moment right now just to tell you that there's some really good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ is the face of grace and that scepter of grace is yours. It will be extended to you positively just for the asking. If you ask for grace, if you come to Jesus, he will by no means cast you out. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But you need to ask for that grace. See, the grace has been extended. The scepter is extended. The cross has happened. The resurrection has happened. But you have to receive that for yourself. You have to ask Jesus, the face of grace, to save you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to extend that scepter and touch your life. If you haven't met him yet, if you need to rededicate your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, now is the time, my friend. Do not wait. Something just this simple. Lord, save me by your grace. 
I ask for your grace. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I turn from my sin and I place my trust in you, in Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. Save me, Lord. Just something that simple. Pray it. And if you're driving right now, just keep your eyes open and pray and he'll save you. If you need to rededicate your life, just something just like that. Get things right today because God has grace for you and for me. So glad you're listening. You know, we do have this entire teaching of the book of Esther on a flash drive. We would like to send it to you as a thank you when you give a $30 donation or more to Walk in Truth. We really appreciate your support of our ministry to get the truth of the gospel to everyone who listens. This is our passion. And when you partner with us, you're helping us accomplish that goal. 40% of radio listeners we're hearing are either unchurched or unsaved. Think about the mission field that you can impact when you give. Now, remember, your church is the first place you give. But if you feel a kinship with what we're doing, you feel like, yeah, this needs to get out to more people like me. Mail in your donation or give online and get all the information at walkintruth.com. Now, it may seem like Mordecai is going to reach a terrible end. The book of Esther certainly looks dark at times. But listen in tomorrow to hear the beginning of Esther chapter 6. Haman thinks he's going to get a high honor. But what really happens, and it is humorous, is that he's going to get some serious grief And he's going to be filled with rage. Listen in tomorrow as we do a message called A Divine Backfire and watch the Lord continue to work in the book of Esther. Until then, we'll see you. God bless. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.